You're listening to the SSPX Podcast, and welcome to Episode 9 of the Crisis in the Church series. We've finished our series of episodes on liberalism, and before we start covering modernism in detail, we wanted to take an episode to answer a listener's question about the crisis in the church. This question is, what's wrong with the world? Is there a connection between the chaos in the post-conciliar church and the chaos that we're seeing in secular society? So we reached out to Father David Sherry, who's the District Superior of Canada for the Society of St. Pius X. We'll spend 40 minutes on the topic, and by the end of it, you'll have an answer on how to solve the problems the world is facing. If you'd like to learn more about the series we are doing on the crisis in the church, or if you'd like to go back and revisit our previous eight episodes, or if you want to support this project, please visit sspxpodcast.com slash crisis. Now, we'll turn to our conversation with Father Sherry. Welcome to the SSPX Podcast, and our next episode on the Crisis in the Church series, we're going to take a bit of a detour, a bit of a sidestep uh, on this episode, and we're joined by uh, Father Sherry. Hello, Father. How are you today? Hello, Andrew. I am doing very well. Thank you very much for having me. Very good. Uh, and I wanted to just introduce you to some of our listeners who may not know who you are. You are the District Superior of Canada for the Society of St. Pius X. Um, beyond that, you know, you, you don't really have anything else going on, right, Father? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So I was uh, just appointed as District Superior uh, a few months ago. Okay. And uh, I'm from Ireland uh, originally and um, I have spent... Uh, Six years in the Apostolate in Europe, then seven years in Canada so far. So uh, wonderful. Uh, that's why I'm here. Very good. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to uh, to chat with us. I know you're you're busy, uh, but we got a we got an email from one of our listeners uh, who had submitted a question through um, the sspxpodcast.com uh, website, um, and he asked an interesting question, and I forwarded it to Father Franks, who's spearheading this project, and he said. What about Father Sherry? I bet he could talk on this. Um, um, but I wanted to, to read part of this email. Um, the listener said, I'm a convert from Protestantism. Uh, my request would be namely to do a podcast to link our current social problems to, ans- to the answer that the Catholic faith gives. Uh, he continues, although the crisis in the church is recognized by the faithful, by faithful Catholics, it is not by mainstream Christianity. But they do see a crisis in our country and in our lives. Could you highlight the social problems we're facing now and what the solution might be? I think it could be a very useful tool to bring people to the faith. American Christians see that there's a problem, but they don't see that there is a solution. So could you help us fix the problems of our country and and of the world, Father? Well, that is a very uh, good question from the listener. And uh, Father Franks introduced uh, this topic to me as what's wrong with the world question mark. Mm. And uh, that, of course, refers to G.K. Chesterton's uh, book of 1910, What's Wrong with the World? And indeed, uh, one of the newspaper editors in England was was asking the question, you know, what's going on? What's wrong with the world? And uh, Chesterton famously wrote to him saying, uh, dear sir, you ask what's wrong with the world. I am. Yours sincerely, G.K. Chesterton. <laughs> and uh, that in addition to Chesterton's legendary humor, of course, that's that's true. It's uh, what's wrong with the world is that I am responsible, first of all, for my own soul. Okay. And uh, that is the first thing that each person, each Catholic must do, and that is to save his soul. Um, and if each person in the world is 
saving his soul, that is, seeking God with all his mind, strength, and heart, then there's not going to be an awful lot wrong with the world. So um, I was perhaps a, a little bit uh, mischievously, I thought that the answer I would give to you as to what's wrong with the world would be, obviously, it's climate change. Because uh, uh, Pope Francis has told us in his encyclical uh, a few years ago, uh, Laudato Si, uh, that climate change is the greatest challenge facing mankind. And uh, obviously then that must be the case, because uh, if uh, climate change uh, isn't stopped, we're all going to die whenever that might be. Um, and I think to myself, I, it struck me that that was... Uh, somewhat different take, let's say, from uh, Pope St. Pius X. So uh, Pope St. Pius X's first encyclical uh, was called A Supremi Apostolatus, which he wrote very soon after becoming Pope in 1903. And he actually asked the question, you know, what is the, what is the problem with, uh, with the world that we're living in? Um, things are in a pretty bad state. Of course, he's speaking in 1903 you know, about 10 years before the First World War. And we know the bloodshed and catastrophes that happened in, throughout the 20th century. And his answer was very simple. The, the illness of our time, he said, is the apostasy from God. And so if anyone wants to sort of put his finger on the, the root cause of what might be wrong with society, that is the answer. The answer is the apostasy from God. Uh, what does that mean? And just to clarify, well, I, I was just going to ask, Father, and just to clarify, that that is not uh, that God is giving us apostasy. It is man removing himself from God. We are, we are apostatizing from God. Exactly, exactly. So it's not that God is, is uh, as you say, is sending us apostasy, but rather that man is turning his back on God. So to apostatize, from the faith, for example, if a person, a Catholic, is said to apostatize, what that means is that he completely rejects the faith and leaves off leaving it altogether, which is somewhat different from heresy, by which someone rejects a part of the faith, or schism, by which uh, someone refuses uh, communion with the church. Um, so the apostasy of God is to turn your back on God altogether. And that is the root of all evil, because apostasy is really sin brought to its natural consequence. Because people sometimes wonder, you know, well, sin, I mean, what is sin? Is it, uh, is it St. Michael the Archangel up there in heaven with a black book uh, noting down, okay, Andrew, got him, he, uh, he exceeded the speed limit today, note that down, we're going to bust him for that. Is that sin? <laughs> Uh, a sort of a list of things that you, a sort of a taboo that you can't do. So uh, you are, you have to go to mass on Sunday. And if you don't, that's a sin. It, it's a taboo. Well, the answer to that is that there are no taboos in reality. In the Catholic faith, there are no taboos. A taboo is something that you're not allowed to do, but there's actually no reason for it. So uh, for example, you know, in, uh, in pagan religions, there are often taboos. For example, uh, thou shalt not sit on the chief's chair. Okay, uh, is that intrinsically evil to sit on the chief's chair? No, but you're not allowed to do it. Is there any particular reason? No. Okay. Uh, but it, uh, what sin actually is, is 
to turn away from God and to turn away, therefore, from what is good. That's what sin is. So the, the natural law, if you like, is what God gives us. I, like to exp- I used to teach in a school, and I like to explain to the students that the natural law that God gives us is a bit like a user manual. So let's imagine that you, Andrew, uh, you're a very talented inventor, and you make yourself uh, a, a toaster. So okay. uh, it's for toasting bread. And then you, you put a little instruction manual in with the toaster in the box saying, okay, so that this toaster um, works well, uh, please don't submerge it in water. Okay, because if you do, good things will not happen. And so some guy comes along and he says, you know what, I want to set myself free. I, want to, uh, I, w- I don't want to be, uh, be limited by these arbitrary rules that Andrew has put in with the toaster. <laughs> and so I'm going to use this toaster to make myself a cup of coffee. And so mm-hmm. he puts in the water. And guess what happens? Well, it doesn't work. Or right. you make a car and you say, well, don't put cream cheese in the gas tank. <laughs> uh, it's not going to work if you put cream cheese in the gas tank. You've got to put gasoline in the gas tank. Right. And so that's, that's what the natural law is. It's God made the world, God made us, and he, he gives a user manual uh, to go along with us. But this user manual is written in our hearts. It's the natural law. If you want man to work well, well, first three commandments, worship the true God. And uh, the other seven commandments, uh, be just and uh, charitable uh, towards yourself and towards your neighbor. Do not uh, take his wife, do not take his goods, etc. And if that happens, you work well. And so what sin actually is, is, is man sort of saying, well, do you know what? I don't want this user manual. I want to do my own thing. And guess what's going to happen if you put uh, cream cheese in the gas tank or you put orange juice in the toaster? It's not going to work. Right. And that's what's wrong with the world. What's wrong with the world is that man in his pride says to himself, I want to be God. And by that he means, I want to decide what's right and wrong, what I'm going to do. And it doesn't work. Everything breaks down. I don't know if you're familiar with the, uh, the famous poem by uh, W.B. Yeats, which he wrote about a century ago, about the second coming, how uh, uh, round and round in the widening gyre, the falcon cannot hear the falconer, things fall apart, the center cannot hold. And the center of the universe and the center of man's life is God. And if you uh, take your eye off God, by deciding, well, actually, I don't need to keep the fifth commandment. You know, abortion's fine, euthanasia's good. Mm-hmm. I'm going to make it up myself. Well, the center cannot hold, and mere chaos is loosed upon the world, as, as Yates said. Um, so in, in a nutshell, I think that's what, what the answer to the question is. What is causing social ills is man apostatizing, turning away from God. And that is extremely serious because God is our life. So if you, um, you know, let's say if you want to say to yourself, well, I want to be free to not be dependent on oxygen. So I don't want to be reliant on oxygen. Well, that's fine. Go ahead and deprive yourself of oxygen, but you're going to die. I want to be free of food. Okay, I'm going to uh, starve myself. You're going to die. And man says to himself, I want to be free of God. 
go ahead, you're going to die. And this death doesn't happen all at once. If you stop eating, you're not going to die this moment, but you will die. And that's kind of what's happening to our societies for about five or six centuries, slowly and then quicker in other times, we've been turning away from God and guess what? We're dying. And, and you were saying, Father, that, that sin is uh, a turning away from God and apostasy then once you get to a point where you are sinning, 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 and you say, you know, you know, if you and I as Catholics, Father, we, we could say, well, yeah, we, we might sin. And that might be a, a momentary turning away from God or turning away from what he's saying. Uh, but eventually we get so used to it that we could lose our faith altogether. And that then is, is apostasy. Uh, and then what you're saying is, as a society, it could follow the same thing. You could have momentary lapses where certain peoples or certain tribes or states or regions could, you know, turn away. But as a whole, now we are all starting to turn away and, and apostatize. Right. Absolutely. So um, there's the difference between, first of all, venial sin and mortal sin. So venial sin is when I do not turn away from God uh, completely, but I simply do something which I know uh, to be displeasing to God. So it would be a bit like a man, let's say, who his wife, let's say, asks him, you know, when you're coming home from, from work, could you drop in and get me a, a gallon of milk? And he says, oh, yeah, you know, what the heck? I don't have time to do that. I need to get a, I need to get a beer with my buddies. Forget about the milk. Okay, so he comes home. His wife's not happy. But is she going to sort of blow the whistle and say, okay, that's it, I'm leaving? Right. Well, no, because that's... Uh, it's it's not good. He's he's sort of a lack of attention towards his wife, a lack of 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 a fervor, you could almost put it, in sure. his uh, devotion towards his wife. But it's not a deal breaker. But on the other hand, if the man, let's say, decides that you know what, my wife's cooking is really not what it used to be. Um, she's kind of annoying me. I'm gonna find a, a newer model, a newer uh, a newer version of a wife. And so he goes and commits adultery. Well, when his wife finds out about that, right. that's, that could well be a deal breaker. That could be the, and the church, of course, recognizes that that is uh, a sufficient reason for separation. Of course, there's no such thing as divorce, as in the right. end of the marriage, but separation. And that's a bit like that, is that uh, venial sin is when we say, you know, I know that God uh, wants me to pay attention when I'm praying, but right now, I'd rather imagine myself uh, scoring the winning touchdown at the Super Bowl. Okay. Right. Well, that's, that's a venial sin. You're, you're deliberately not trying to concentrate on your rosary. But a mortal sin would be me saying, well, I know that uh, God tells me that I should not steal. But hey, uh, Andrew's just left his, uh, I know you get well paid, Andrew's. You get your $1,000 uh, a day paycheck. He's just left his money there. I'm going to take it. Well, that's, that's a serious turning away from reason and God. So the, the, our reason, if you like, our conscience is what, uh, what's often called God's voice within us. So God tells us what to do, and within inside of us, our, our reason, our conscience tells us, you can't steal that. You can't steal that money. And so that would be mortal sin. And uh, the prophet Jeremiah, he, he mentions that at the beginning of his prophecy. He says, my people have done two evils. They have rejected me, the fountain of living water, and they have built to themselves 
cisterns that hold no water. That's mortal sin. The, the mortal mm. sinner says, do you know what? I'd rather watch pornography than serve God. And so he rejects God. And then he says, do you know what? This is going, this sin, this pornography, these drugs, this money, this fame, it's going to make me happy. And of course it doesn't because we were made for God. As St. Augustine uh, said famously, uh, our hearts were made for thee, O Lord, and they are restless until they rest in thee. We need God. You can try to replace God with some creature, but it doesn't work. Now, apostasy then would be just as you said, Andrew. It's when you, you actually persevere in sin. So it's almost like the opposite of somebody who's trying to live in the state of grace. So when you're trying to live in the state of grace, at the uh, sort of, you know, psychological moment, the devil presents you with different temptations and you reject those temptations. But when you're living in the state of mortal sin, God, if you like, tempts you back towards himself because God wants nothing more than we turn away from sin and that we return to him. But the guy who perseveres in sin, he he rejects those temptations from God. He, he puts them out of his mind. He refuses to listen to them. And then that's serious because he gets then deeper and deeper. And he arrives at a level that Archbishop Fulton Sheen uh, mentioned, that if you don't live as you believe, you'll end up believing as you live. Yes. And God, at a certain time, he withdraws his grace in the book of Exodus it's mentioned that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. What that means, the fathers tell us, is that God withdrew his grace. And mm -hmm. so God hardens the heart of the sinner who continually rejects him um, by withdrawing his grace. Because, hey, God, let's say God's given the grace to the sinner, you know, however many times he does. And then at a certain time, maybe that's it. Uh, St. Augustine used to say, fear Jesus who passes by and does not return. In other words, wow. you're getting a grace right now. Maybe you're living in mortal sin right now. Not, not you, Andrew, but you know, maybe somebody listening is living in mortal sin right now, and they're thinking to themselves, well, you know, should I convert? You take that grace now, because you may never get another one. And people who persevere in sin end up no longer believing, because you can't, you can't live uh, sort of in two worlds. You can't Sim simultaneously persevere in sin and at the same time believe that at every moment I'm actually going to hell. And so you end up saying, well, maybe that's not true. I mean, who's seen hell? Uh, right. Nobody's ever seen hell. Well, you know, okay, some people say they have, like St. Teresa, but uh, I don't know. And so maybe it doesn't exist. Hey, everybody out there, Hollywood tells me that it's fine. So you start to try to justify your way out of it in order to make your right. conscience feel better. Essentially. Of course. And yeah. that, that's psychologically necessary. Otherwise, you're going to become a schizophrenic. Right. You're, going to be, you're going to be believing one thing and doing a different thing. Now, of course, as you mentioned, you know, through weakness, we can fall and then get up again. And that's, that's, uh, that's, you know, that's a sin. If it's a mortal sin, it's a mortal sin. But it's not a persevering in sin. So the persevering in sin is when I decide that not only am I not going to repent of this sin, but I'm actually going to sign up for the euthanasia package that's going to kill me when I'm 90. Right. Um, 
I'm, I'm living in sin. I'm, I'm making sin uh, my choice for life. And that leads to apostasy on an individual level. But society is made up of individuals, or rather it's made up of families. And so if, let's say, you have an individual within a family who decides he wants to live in sin, if it's a father or a mother, you are going to have serious problems because this father or mother then is not going to be able to do his or her duty as a parent to bring the children to God. Okay, he might go through the motions for a while, fair enough, but ultimately, how convincing is he going to be when he tells his children not to commit mortal sin when he himself was committing mortal sin? Yeah. And so the, the, that's what Scripture means when it says that the faults of the fathers will be visited on the children. It's not the guilt of the fault of the fathers, but the consequences of the fault. I mean, you think of, of this case, uh, Andrew. There was a guy who emigrated to America from, I think it was either England or Ireland, about uh, 1900. His name was Richard Reeder. He was a Catholic. And uh, he got married to a Protestant uh, girl. And when he died, Richard Reeder had 180 descendants, and not one of them was a Catholic. So what happened to Richard? Richard said, you know what? It's more important to me to marry Juliet than it is for me to keep my faith. And because of that sin, then all of his descendants were separated from the true faith. Wow. And that's, uh, that's an example of, of the consequences of, of sin. Yeah. So these, we've, you've talked about the consequences of, of sin, uh, but looking at it from a broader level, Father, we're, we're talking about you know, society as a whole. Um, consequences for a society suffering from this apostasy, uh, those would even be more severe, I'm assuming. <laughs> right. Of course, of course. So if you, if you look at uh, a society, so what is a society? So a, a family is a, a group of, of individual souls who are supposed to be finding their way to God. Marriage is a sacrament which, um, which, which enables and, and uh, permits uh, the married people, with God's help, to have children whom they're going to give back to God. Now, what is society? Society is simply a family of families. So it's, it's uh, a family, as the church teaches us, is an imperfect society. That means that a family is not sufficient by itself to achieve its goal. A family also needs the perfect society, which is the church, in order to, to, for each member of the family to go to God. And to achieve its, its temporal goal, it needs that perfect society, which is the nation. And the nation is a, f a very good way of thinking about it is that idea of a family of families. But what happens when the nation does not seek God? Well, the same thing that will happen to an individual who does not seek God and to a family which does not seek God, it leads to disaster. And we see this played out again and again and again in the Old Testament. So in the Old Testament, God chose not only individuals, but he chose the Jewish people as a whole to be that nation in which our Savior was to be born. And 
you know, you just read the historical books of the Old Testament and the prophecies of the Old Testament to see time and again, the hearts and the minds of the people were turned away to idols. And they, they uh, worshipped Baal and they sacrificed their children to Moloch. And what happened? Disaster. The nation broke down. The nation was dispersed. The nation was, uh, was uh, moved into, into exile. So if you take this into our modern times, so if you, if you look at uh, our modern nations, so our modern nations, with no exception that I can think of off the top of my head, do not seek God because, because since the Protestant so-called Reformation and before that, if you like, the idea has been going out there that actually there's a, there's a gulf between the individual seeking God and the nation. This, the state cannot, as the theory goes, cannot recognize God, cannot recognize that there is a God, or it may recognize in theory that there might be a God, but it can't recognize that actually there is a God who is the blessed Trinity and that our Savior Jesus Christ is divine and we therefore must follow his law. And this is uh, concretized in societies by what's called the separation of the church and state. Now, if, if the church and state are to be separate, you know, I would say in most cases that's fine because for the state to be separate from most churches is fine because most churches are bad. Okay, so you say, well, is it a good thing for the uh, for the American state to be separated from the Protestant churches? Uh, yeah, that's excellent because the Protestant churches are in fact uh, false teachers. Now that does not mean that individual Protestants may not be people who are in their own mind through you know centuries of error being passed down. They are in fact seeking God. That's that's sure. not what I'm saying. But the actual uh, teaching of the so-called Protestant churches is false. So that the state be separated from them, that's great. But there is one true church. And so the faith uh, teaches us that the Catholic church, because founded by Christ and being the body of Christ, is the church which should guide all mankind to its destiny, which is heaven. And that includes... The nations, not that nations as a whole can go to heaven, um, individual souls go to heaven, but that the nation needs to put in place all of the um, all of the circumstances which will allow and help the uh, souls to go to heaven. And that's why the traditional doctrine of the church is not the separation of the church and the state. So when we say that's a good thing in most cases, we mean separation from false churches. Right. But rather that the state should be subordinate to the church. And that means that in matters of, of faith and morals, that the state recognizes that the Catholic Church is infallible and so accepts its teaching. If we don't do that, in fact, what we're doing then is we are rejecting God and saying, OK, uh, w Jesus Christ is God, but we're not going to take that into account. And so we're going to decide for ourselves what is right and wrong. And so what happens there is that, in fact, the state cannot help but become totalitarian. Right. And 
what we mean by totalitarian. Of course, when, when we say totalitarian, we're thinking of Nazis in uh, concentration camps and uh, jackboots and coal scuttle helmets and all that sort of thing. But actually, what totalitarianism really means is that the state puts itself into the place of God and does not recognize that the citizens have rights other than those which come from the state. And we've seen that quite recently, Andrew, in uh, the uh, coronavirus uh, times we live in, whereby in many, many countries, the state, for example, has dictated to the church and said, okay, shut down mass, uh, you're not allowed to, to have mass. Well, actually, the right to celebrate mass and the right to attend mass doesn't come from the state. It comes right. from God. And so the state has no right to tell people that they can't go to mass. Now, maybe is it necessary that they not go to mass? Maybe it is. I, I don't know. But that's up to the church, which is the authority on the, the true religion. It, it's understandable, nonetheless, that if you don't accept that there is a God, then, or you don't practically accept that there is a God, then somebody's got to play, to play the role of God, and so the state does it. All rights come from us. You do what you're told. And that's a huge problem because we've seen many times in history and as recently as many different times in the 20th century that if that's what you think, then you will end up with the concentration camps and with the uh, coal scuttle helmets, etc. And Alexander Solzhenitsyn makes that very point in his uh, Gulag Archipelago, which is uh, a book well, well worth reading in my opinion. But he makes the point is that power is very dangerous. But he says, it doesn't necessarily corrupt you if you believe in God. Right. But if you don't believe in God, then it will necessarily corrupt you because nothing can save you from the taking the role and usurping the place of God. And it really is amazing. I mean, we've looked at this uh, over our last few episodes, you know, episodes four, five, and six, we did just a few weeks ago with Father Ruder talking about liberalism, how we are all kind of indoctrinated and washed in that liberal thinking. And then we're talking about it with Father Loop the past couple of weeks about, about Americanism. <clears throat> you know, this separation of church and state is, is such a, uh, it, it's so commonly held and it's so commonly held by Americans. We hold it almost as this sacrosanct right that we should have. And, and like you said, there are certainly some good things about uh, freedom of freedom of worship uh, that the American Constitution has, and I'm and I'm sure similar to what Canada has. I'm not up to date on the Canadian Constitution. Sorry about that. Um, but it it is again, we are so indoctrinated in it, we're so washed in it that to say no that that's really false is is shocking to us. Um, I, I volunteer some time to teach art history to 11th and 12th graders, and we were just talking about the Byzantine Empire and Byzantine art, and talking about Emperor Justinian and how. His his role, he saw it very much as helping the church. He was the he was the emperor of the Byzantine uh, church as well as as the state. And some of my students were like, well, "That's crazy that he was that involved." And I said, but "That's how really it should be." And we can get into an argument about whether Justinian was good or bad and all that stuff. But the point remains: there's there's something to be said where we, we have to kind of erase some of that indoctrination out of our own minds, even as traditional Catholics you know, who live in these free states, that, uh, that this separation is not necessarily a good thing. Right, exactly. So, what the, so if you like, yeah, as you said, sort of the good points of uh, separation of church and state is, yeah, well, in fact, it does stop false churches 
from uh, sort of uh, putting their thumb on the state. The bad side is that it stops the true church from giving the guidance which God intended it to give, not only to individuals and to families, but also to the state. And so, you know, you say, well, freedom of worship, well, that means that you are free to worship in the true way. The bad side of that is, is that people take from that, well, I'm also free to be a Satanist. And sure. you see you see that in, in, in America, uh, recent cases of, uh, I think it was in the army, whereby Satanism was to be recognized as, so we arrive at this, at this sort of absurd level, but it's a natural consequence of the principle. So the principle is, it's not that the, the freedom depends on the truth, it is that freedom depends on you doing whatever you want to do. And it's, it's very, I find it very interesting, Andrew, that, uh, you know, when Pope Gregory XVI condemned the freedom of the press, and we think to ourselves, my goodness, you know, he, he did what? <laughs> um, you know, the freedom of the press. Because he said, if you accept the principle, if you accept the principle that you are free to print good or evil, truth or falsehood, then what it will end up being is you will only be free to print evil and falsehood. Mm -hmm. And we've arrived at that in, in the year 2020, whereby, you know, let's say the, uh, the people on, on the left, shall we say, and those, let's say, in favor of things like gender theory, they say, okay, you've just printed something which is incompatible with our way of thinking. We're going to cancel you. We're going yeah. to shut you down. And that's exactly what Pope Gregory XVI uh, predicted. And so, in fact, uh, what's, what's funny then is that they're actually agreeing with the Pope and saying, yeah, we shouldn't have freedom of the press because it's, 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 it's bad. <laughs> and, uh, but we arrive at this, at this uh, absurd consequence, which is, which is so dangerous, which is that it's, it's not only that, yeah, you're free to do good or evil, it's you're not free to do good. You, you may only do evil, and it's, it's normal that we arrive at that because freedom from God inevitably leads to slavery to, to sin and slavery to falsehood. When we supplant God with a totalitarian uh, dictatorship or, or government or however you want to describe it, uh, that is going to become our God, plain and simple. Yeah, it's, it, if you don't have a God, you're going to have to have something to replace right. God. So right. if, if, uh, if we do not accept the true God, then we're going to have something that's not going to be good. Now, I suppose you could say, you know, you could actually go back and say, well, you know, what about pagan times? You know, there were good pagans. And you could say, yeah, there are good people who are in complete ignorance. So in pre-Christian times, you know, Christ had not yet come. Uh, mankind was living in uh, darkness and ignorance. And yes, there were sort of good aspects of, of that. There were good aspects even of mythology. And then there were bad aspects of mythology. And there were more diabolical aspects of mythology. But we're now living in, in the Christian era after the coming of Christ. And Chris, Christian religion, the Christendom, has in fact triumphed over most of the earth and then being rejected. So it's a very different thing for you to have 
a friend of yours who's a pagan who's never known Catholicism who's doing certain things that are evil and one of your traditional Catholic buddies who has said, you know what, uh, I've had enough of this, I want to do my own thing. It's two completely different things. Um, but the reality is that we're in the second case now because we are living in an apostate society. And, and even the, you know, you brought up the pagan uh, era, Father, even the pagan philosophers, though, recognized uh, when we're talking about liberty and freedom, even they recognized that, um, I don't remember which philosopher it was, uh, but one of, one of those guys wearing robes a long time ago <laughs> said um, that a man is not truly free uh, unless he is wise. And by wise, he meant living in virtue, living according to the natural virtues that are instilled, that are written on men's souls. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, right, absolutely. So the 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 great work of um, the philosophers there was uh, better philosophers and less good philosophers. But you think of the pinnacle of of Greek philosophy with Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle, and you think, wow, these guys really understood so much about about what life is about and what it means to be a human and what it means to seek the truth, and that's why. Somebody like uh, St. Thomas Aquinas could come along and show how, by and large, the philosophy of Aristotle is a, a tool you can use to explain the faith, sure. because reason and faith are two lights which come from God, and they don't contradict each other in any way. But today, we've come to the sort of strange situation whereby when you have the faith, and then you reject the faith, you also end up losing your reason. <laughs> it's, it's very, very strange, but it's uh, to return to Chesterton, he sort of said, um, he said, there's a limit to how good you can become, but there is no limit to how evil you can become. In other words, if you actually can see the light and then you, you poke out your eyes and you say, and, and, and it's not necessarily the people who are listening to us, you know, perhaps we have a we have somebody who's not a Catholic listening to us saying, well, I never poked my eyes out. <laughs> Very good. But it's our ancestors. You think about, you know, somewhere like Canada. Okay, Canada is mostly a Protestant country. Why? Well, because Henry VIII, who was a Catholic king, decided that he wasn't going to be Catholic anymore. And he poked his eyes out. And that's why uh, most Canadians are living with, uh, with a false religion. And so this is the... The thing is that you, you actually go to a much lower level when you turn away from the truth which you have once seen. We've spent the last 30, 35 minutes or so, Father, uh, talking about cheery topics and how we got to the disastrous place we are today. Uh, could we end with maybe a remedy? Uh, how do we get out of the, the mire of this totalitarianism, this godlessness that we have kind of found ourselves in? Not kind of, that we have found ourselves in. Yes. Well, the remedy, will, you'll be happy to hear, Andrew, is very, very, very simple. And that is to restore all things in Christ, which is the motto of, of Pope St. Pius X. And that was the remedy which he put forward in his Supremi Apostolatus, he said, the evil of our time is apostasy from God. The remedy is Jesus Christ, to restore all things in Christ. And why is that? It's because sin, you know, it's a reality. We're, we can't turn back time and actually um, say, okay, well, let's erase sin as if it never happened. Right. That, that can't be. 
for what can happen and what is God's plan, in fact, it is that he himself, God the Son, the second person of the Blessed Trinity, becomes man in order to lead us back to God, to heal sin. And he does that through the cross. And that is the remedy. Now, the Antichrist, of course, is going to come with a remedy. Uh, we know that he's going to come and he's going to, uh, he's going to come with a, a vaccination for all the world's evils. And he's going to say, just leave it to me. I'm going to sort everything out. And the reason we will know that he is not Christ, because remember, it will seem almost as if he is Christ. The reason we'll know is that it's going to be no cross. He is going to promise to solve all our problems without the cross. And that's impossible because once sin happens, there is no way to go back to God except through the cross. And that is why uh, when we're baptized, as St. Paul says, when we go down into the water, we are buried together with Christ. And when we come out of the water, we rise with Christ to a new life. And so Jesus Christ is the remedy. He can save mankind from our sins, not only in the year 33, but in the year 2020. And so if we want to solve the problems of society, we want to to put everything together, we have to listen to the collect of the Feast of Christ the King. So uh, you think of the uh, all the riots and things which happened in America in the summer with uh, Black Lives Matter, etc. And you, you read the collect of Christ the King, and it says the nations which are disunited through sin may be reunited uh, through uh, the or reunited under the sweet yoke of Christ. If we want to reunite the nations and have a family of nations, then it is Christ alone who can do that. If we want to put uh, justice into economics and uh, all that sort of thing, we have to go to Christ. And how do you find Christ? It is through the Catholic Church. The, um, the Catholic Church is the mystical body of Christ. And that is why, uh, Andrew, if the world's problems are going to be sorted out, the crisis in the church needs to get sorted out first. Because at the moment, the church is, is reneging on its uh, vocation to be the light of the world, to be the, the city seated on the mountaintop, and to be the, uh, the body which brings mankind to God. So we need to, what can I do myself, is I need to make sure Christ is reigning in my life that I'm doing my duty of state, that I am doing what God asks me to do, and then that contributes to the resurrection of the church. And when the church, through the, I think through the triumph of the Immaculate Heart, when the church finds itself uh, back where it should be, shall we say, then uh, society will be able to turn to the church and say, hey, save us, and the church, being the body of Christ, can do that. There aren't really simple answers. Well, there aren't really easy answers, but there are simple answers. And, and you've laid it out, Father. Simple, but not easy. Yes, right. but very, very sweet because there's nothing so burdensome as sin and the consequences of sin. And yes. uh, that's why just for an individual sinner, if you want to solve your problems, go to confession. And uh, it's, it's that same thing for families and nations as well. 
Very good. Well, Father, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us about this. This is again a little bit of a, a sidebar, uh, but it was a it was a great conversation and something that uh, fits in uh, very nicely to what we are talking about. Um, before I let you go, is there anything that you want to uh, discuss? Is there anything uh, happening in the District of Canada that you'd like to share or, or talk about? Anything interesting happening? Well, things are uh, a little, you know, difficult at the moment because in various provinces the government is is putting unjust restrictions on the uh, right of the faithful to worship God and to attend mass. But uh, nonetheless, you know, the the faithful have found much um, much reason for an increase in fervor. I think you've. You've seen that in the chapels in the United States and throughout the world, in fact, yes. that the coronavirus has been a great blessing in many ways yeah. for b- both bringing people to tradition, to God, and for us to recover our fervor. So uh, it's it's sort of difficult times uh, compared to what we're used to, but yeah. uh, I think times of great spiritual growth. So we'll simply, I would simply ask that uh, all Catholics who are listening to this uh, podcast simply... This is the time for us to, um, God is calling us to make him the center of our lives and to uh, make sure that we are growing in, in fervor and in his love. Very good. Well, Father, on that, uh, thank you very much for your time. Um, and I, I hope that we can uh, chat again on another episode uh, coming soon. Thank you very much, Andrew, and God bless. You as well. Thank you, Father. Thank you for listening to and watching episode nine of our Crisis in the Church series here on the SSPX podcast. Next week, we will be speaking with Father Paul Isaac Franks, who has been the one organizing this entire series. He'll introduce the next section that we'll be tackling, modernism. And specifically, we'll discuss the very beginnings of the modernist infiltration into the church. If you have a question on the topic of the crisis, please feel free to ask it at sspxpodcast.com slash crisis. And please share this episode with someone who you think might enjoy it. And if they don't know what a podcast is, please show them so that they can take advantage of all our episodes. Finally, if you have the ability to set up a monthly recurring donation of 5 or 10 or $20 on sspxpodcast.com, it would help us immensely to complete this Crisis in the Church project. Until next week, thank you so much for listening, and God bless you.